Lord, we really do thank you today that we can lift our voice. We love lifting our voice to you, Jesus. Thank you that the praises of your people truly is a sweet, sweet sound. A sweet sound to you. So sweet that you inhabit it. You inhabit, you presence yourself in the praises of your people. We thank you. You never leave us. You never forsake us. You're always with us. We just love those moments where you come by your Spirit. We lift our voice to you. We sing our praise to you. And we sense your presence comforting us, strengthening us, lifting our head for another week before us, giving us joy and strength. Jesus, we want to thank you. Thank you so much. Your eyes are upon us. That's what you said, Lord. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. God does not blink. You're never out of his gaze. He's always there. His eyes are upon you, irrespective of whether you're young or whether you're old. His eyes are upon us. And his ears, Peter says, his ears are actually open to our prayers. What have you been praying? God's been listening. And he's happy to answer. It gives him great joy. As you carry those concerns as we do, you pray, Lord, hear my cry. He hears it. He hears it. And he will answer. Because his ears are open. You know, I said in the last service, sometimes my, my mind wanders. My children are talking to me all excitedly, four at once. And sometimes Faye's talking, five at once. Sometimes she gets bombarded with five voices all at the same time. And I'm unable to listen. My mind is somewhere else. I'm thinking about this and I'm thinking about that. And I'm unable to respond. And I'm kind of switched off. And they turn around and they say to me, Dad, are you listening to us? And I've got to just acknowledge, sorry, I'm not. Dad's somewhere else in his head, physically present, but unable to attend to the conversations that are in place. Do you know God's never like that? He's never like that. He's never distant. He's never away somewhere else in his mind. Please don't ever think that. He listens. David said, so many are God's thoughts for me that if I was to try and number them, they would outnumber the very sand that's beneath my feet. Actually, thinking about it, looking up, they would actually outnumber the stars in the sky. God thinks about you and he loves you very, very much more than we can ever, ever imagine. Jesus, knowing this, said, because of that, don't worry about tomorrow. Don't fear what's ahead. <clears throat> the very hairs of your head, which in my case is not much, but the very hairs of your head, he didn't say are counted by God, but are 
numbered. Each hair on your head has a number. Who else in your life would pay such attention? Who else do you know that you've met in your life that would ever give such loving care? It's wonderful to have caring people around you, people that say that they love you, but somebody that would say and take the time to number each hair on your head, that's love at a level that we cannot understand. He knows when a sparrow falls to the ground, and he knows the way in which we walk, the way in which we take. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Let's thank our musicians this morning. What a blessing. What a blessing. Well, before I get into what I'm going to say this morning, next week is going to be exciting because for the first time, we're going to go back to one service on a Sunday. It's going to be really, really exciting. We're excited about that, and um, know you are too. Faye's going to give us details about that um, just at the at the close of the service. But oh, it's wonderful, isn't it? Just to be together, to look around, and just to to see one another, and just to be so thankful to be in this place and to be in God's house together. What this last couple of years? Wow. It's been a bit of a journey, but we're still here, praising God, loving the Lord. Look at Norma back there, smiling. That's it, Norma. Hallelujah. It's wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. Well, today I'm going to start a new series of messages with you that I want to call The Secret of Success. The Secret of Success. Every single one of us desire to be successful in life generally, all of us. And it's good to have great aspirations when it comes to life, when it comes to your life and to your future, and, and for your future. It's important. Aspirations for your friends, aspirations for your family, aspirations for the ones that you love. None of us go out into life intending to fail, do we? We want to succeed in life. That is good. No one, I'm sure, in this room wakes up on any given day and says, well, today I am going to do my utmost to fail. I've decided I'm going to fail in my job. I'm going to fail in my university, in my schooling, in my family. I'm just going to make it a day of complete failure. No, none of us wake up like that on a morning. We go out into life in amidst all of the troubles, in amidst all of the challenges, trying to cut a course of success. We want to succeed in life. We want to grow. We want to progress. We want our lives to be enriched and to flourish. And this desire to succeed is a good desire. Would it surprise you this morning if I told you that God finds great pleasure, great delight in you being successful? Would that surprise you? I know that there may be people outside of this building, and that would be a shock to them. God wants you to succeed. God wants you to be successful in every area of your life, in every pursuit that you commit your life to. God wants to stamp it with success, with his favor, with his approval on your life. He really does. He desires us to thrive, to flourish, to grow, and to achieve all of our desires, dreams, and aspirations for life and for living. Jesus didn't say, did he, I've come that you might fail and fail in all of its fullness. No, Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and life 
in all of its abundance. Life in all of its fullness. When talking about the thief, the devil, he revealed him as one that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He's the one. He's the culprit that doesn't want you to succeed. He's the culprit that doesn't want you to achieve those dreams and aspirations and desires in your heart that God's put there. He wants to steal and then move on to destroy you if he can. But as far as God is concerned, as far as Jesus is concerned, he says, I've come. You might have life and life in all of its fullness. It brings God great pleasure for you to, to succeed in life. It brings God great fulfillment and glory for your life to flourish and be fruitful in all things. God doesn't take any pleasure in you failing. God doesn't take any pleasure in your downfall. He plans against it. He plans against your failure. He plans against any downfall. He plans for your success. And the Bible is teeming with thousands upon thousands of promises that speak and point toward a wonderful, glorious life that's fruitful and fulfilled and successful with God and you at the center of it. God wants you to succeed. God wants you to thrive. God wants you to be blessed and to flourish in everything that you do. He wants you to wake up on a morning and feel joy in your heart, ready to walk through this world that seems so dark and oppressive. I know that God wants us to succeed. I know that God wants us to thrive and to flourish in everything that we do in life because His Word is full of promises, like I've said, that point towards that, that, that tell us openly and explicitly that He wants us to thrive and succeed. Do you know, no dad, no dad in this room takes pleasure in the failure of their children? No dad in this room finds any kind of fulfillment when, when their children are struggling to cope with life. Not every dad in this room is overjoyed when their children and mums too they're overjoyed as parents when their children succeed, when they see their children growing and thriving and achieving and accomplishing all of the dreams that is in their hearts. They love to see their children thrive. They love to see their children be successful. When I've sensed that my children on occasions are struggling, facing failure and feeling the pains of it in their heart and the questions about it in their mind. As a dad, my heart feels the same sorrow and the same disappointment that they feel. My heart is heavy, face heart is heavy. Our, our, our emotions are saddened by the, the disappointment, the failure that they face sometimes. Do you know, God shares that same feeling of disappointment and discouragement and downfall that you feel. He, 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 he's able to understand that, that feeling of sorrow. It does not bring him pleasure. Why? Because he's a loving father. And like Tendai prayed, Romans 8 tells us that the love of God has been shed abroad in our heart by the Spirit of God, and as a result of that, we cry, Abba, Father. We don't have a Father over us that's condescending or critical or gets any kind of fulfillment in our failure. We have a loving Father, a loving Father that loved to, loves to see us succeed in life. Whether it be spiritually, certainly He wants us to succeed 
He wants us to enjoy and relish his presence and walk under his favor where he's close to us and by our side, whether it's in our vocational life, wants us to succeed, whether we're setting up and setting out to bring about a new business, God wants it to succeed and thrive just like you do. Whether it's in university or school, and you feel afraid because of all of the, the challenges of learning and revising, whatever it might be, God finds fulfillment when you and I succeed. He really does. When Adam walked with God in the garden with Eve, God, after creating them, didn't say, well, I wonder what we'll do now with them. Um, I'm not really sure. We made them, but don't really understand. It's a bit awkward. Don't really understand the purpose of them. No, God came clearly out with his purpose for their lives. Hey, Adam, Eve, tend this garden. Do well here. Beyond here, you're going to go to the end of the earth, and you're going to have dominion over it. You're going to rule over it. And the expression of my life, you're going to take to the ends of the earth. And, and as you become fulfilled in the purpose that I have created you for, I'm going to receive glory. And it's going to be a pleasurable union, you and I. Succeeding together. Me speaking and instructing what you have to do and you taking hold of that word that I'm speaking to you and fulfilling it in your world and making it new. God finds no pleasure in our failure, in our downfall, in our difficulties. God finds great pleasure in us succeeding. Now, the secret, there's a secret to success in God. And we're going to be looking at this secret to success in God over the next weeks ahead. The secret behind success, the secret behind success in God, as we will see throughout the Word of God, is this, the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. It's the key ingredient. It's the secret to success. It's the secret to unimaginable blessing on your life. And that's what we're going to be looking at today and on from today. Now, that phrase, the fear of the Lord, what comes to mind when you think about that phrase? What emotions does it conjure up? What thoughts do you have in your mind about that phrase? Because very often we think that the fear of the Lord is cowering in some corner, hiding away from God, afraid to speak. But that's the opposite. The fear of the Lord as we'll read in a moment, it's the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of a life that expands. It's the beginning of a life that succeeds when all the odds are against it because the Lord is on it and with it. It can be a troubling phrase to us sometimes because we don't understand it. Because throughout our world, countless people battle and are plagued by fear and phobias of many kinds. People fear heights. They fear water. Real fears. They fear people. They're terrified of confined spaces. They're afraid of going outside. We're not talking about natural fear now that's innate within our being that is right. No, we're talking about erratic fears that plague men and women and even young people and children. Fear is not a positive thing. It's a crippling thing. And very often, if we don't understand the difference between 
the spirit of fear and the fear of the Lord, we'll be doubtful as to the blessings that the fear of the Lord can bring in our lives. It's fear that breeds insecurity, suspicion, jealousy, and envy. And the list of imprisoning fears are endless that captivate people. But there's one fear. Listen carefully, very carefully. There's one fear that renders all other fears as powerless. There's one fear that cancels out all other fears, and it's the fear of the Lord. That's the amazing thing about the fear of the Lord, and it sounds like a contradiction. But the fear of the Lord cancels out all other fears because you get a correct perspective, understanding, and revelation of God. The fear of the Lord, as we'll see, cancels out all other fears and enables us to walk confidently, securely, and in strength. The fear of the Lord isn't like all of the other fears that plague people and erode the gift of life that God has given. The fear of the Lord brings unimaginable blessing into our lives. It doesn't restrict you, doesn't bind you, doesn't close your life down. No, it liberates your life. It causes your life to flourish in every respect. The fear of the Lord sets you free, sets me free from every other fear as we live in it to be everything that God has created us to be in Christ Jesus. Now today, I'm setting out just a simple introduction into this whole series that we're going to be looking at. But let's firstly begin by understanding what the fear of the Lord is not for us to move on to understand what the fear of the Lord is. Firstly, let's understand this, what the fear of the Lord is not. The fear of the Lord is not the spirit of fear that we have been delivered from as children of God. It's not the spirit of fear. The Bible talks about a spirit of fear that is not from God. When Paul was encouraging Timothy, he assured him that God has not given us a spirit of fear. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, Paul declares, listen to the words, I know you know them well. It says this, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Also, John, the apostle, in his first epistle, chapter 4, verse 17 and 18, condemns fear in all of its forms by saying this. Chapter 4, verse 17 says this. There is no fear in love, but perfect fear, uh, sorry, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. There is no fear in love, John says, but perfect love casts out fear. So from the words of the Apostle Paul and the Apostle John, we have a wonderful assurance in knowing that God does not give us a spirit of fear. In fact, the love of God takes fear by the scruff of the neck and casts it out. That's a forceful picture right there. It takes it by the scruff of the neck and it casts it out of your life. That's what the love of God does. God doesn't give you a spirit to fear so that it can torment you. But what we're going to see as we move into this is that the fear of the Lord is not in any way like 
the spirit of fear that we've been sent, set free from. In fact, in the book of Proverbs, you can read it. Solomon said this, the fear of the Lord is pure. The spirit of fear is defiling. The spirit of fear, if you have ever experienced any kind of fear, twists and distorts and breaks down the life that God has given you to relish in and to be fulfilled by. The spirit of fear is the author of confusion and breaks down anything that is of worth in our lives. God's not given you that spirit of fear. That's what Paul and John both attest to. But this, the fear of the Lord, oh, how different it is. It's actually where knowledge and wisdom for living begins. Proverbs 1 verse 7 says this. Again, a well-known verse. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord brings us into a new way to live. The fear of the Lord brings wisdom and uses wisdom to enable us to build the life that God has called us to live, to enrich us, to enable us to flourish in all things. It's wisdom. It's wisdom, this fear of the Lord. The spirit of fear, Paul tells us in the book of Romans, leads to slavery and bondage. Has no life in it is certainly not productive. It binds and restricts and keeps you as its slave, but not the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the secret to unimaginable blessing in our lives, and we're going to see that this morning. It gives us wisdom. It enables us to begin to understand who God is and give Him reverence, reverential respect in his presence for who he is, for what he said. And our response to it is to obey the word that he speaks. All these things and far, far more than I can ever explain are rooted and sourced in this wonderful blessing of the fear of the Lord. Sometimes we get confused between the spirit of fear and the fear of the Lord, because in God's word, God commands us on one hand to fear not. Fear not, he says. That command, fear not, occurs over a hundred times in our Bibles. However, however, on over 200 different occasions in God's word, fear is also praised as being positive and is an appropriate response when connected to your life and relationship with the Lord. It's right to fear and reverence the Lord. John Newton said this, The Lord commands me, fear not. And at the same time, he says, Happy is the man who fears always. How to fear and not to fear at the same time is, I believe, one branch of that secret of the Lord which none can understand unless we are taught of His Spirit. That's a great understanding right there. It's the wisdom of the Holy Spirit that teaches us to fear not and at the same time to live in the happiness of the fear of the Lord. That's why Paul prayed the most magnificent prayer when he was praying for his brothers and sisters at the church of Ephesus. He wanted them to receive a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ Jesus, for the eyes of their understanding to be wide open when it came to God. 
on Jesus. Paul knew that if he could get their eyes to be opened through the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ Jesus, they would have a correct apprehension of who Christ Jesus is, of how supreme he is. Jesus, Paul wanted them to understand, is above all things. And if they could understand that Jesus is above all things, they would never be subject or enslaved to any fear. If they had a right apprehension of what God has done in Christ Jesus, then they would never have a worry or a care or a fear. And it was Paul's desire that their eyes be opened. We've sung it this morning. He has no rival. He has no equal. Not just in this earth, but in heaven, in the universe. There's no rival. All things are under his feet. And when we appropriate that to our lives, reverently respecting that word that Paul has spoken, through his revelation and understanding of God's purpose in the church, we walk without fear. Ephesians 1, verse 17 to 23 says this, that the God, this is Paul's prayer, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe? According to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of all, the fullness of him who fills all in all. You'll never live in fear. We'll never live in fear. If we gain a correct perspective and understanding of who Jesus is, of how all things are under his feet, this is the power of the fear of the Lord. When we rightly understand what wisdom says. And Paul wanted the church to have a spirit of wisdom. To be able to understand that they were immovable, irrespective of what was going on in their life, in that city, at that time. Jesus Christ is supreme, transcendent, and has been exalted to the very right hand of God, and all things are under his feet. And one day, every knee will bow, irrespective of the knees that will not bow and stubbornly refuse to acknowledge what God has done in Christ. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That is what we are heading towards as a people, as a human race. That is the end and the final stop that this world will have to come to. And that deserves our respect. That deserves our reverence that we are moving towards a meeting in the air with the Lord. I tell you, this is glorious. This is wonderful. And this is the heritage of those that fear God. Now, for the remainder of our time, time is moving quickly. I want us to look at two lives that both have very different outcomes. The first is a sad picture of a person that disregards the loving invitation and appeal of God to impart wisdom for life and living in the fear of the Lord. We're going to turn in a moment to Proverbs chapter 1. And here, 
wisdom's loving invitation. But we'll also see as wisdom tries to impart knowledge, as wisdom tries to guide, correct, and adjust this life, we'll also see a stubborn refusal and rejection, a rebellious attitude against wisdom's loving voice. And on from that rebellious refusal to fear God, to honor Him, by obeying His commands, we'll see the fateful outcome when a life has no fear of God in it. Listen to Proverbs chapter 1, verse 22 through to verse 33 as I read it. This is the scenario. This is the picture. It's very direct. It's disturbing. I wouldn't write these words. They're too direct for me. But I tell you now, this cuts like a sword because your life is very precious and the people out there beyond in this world are very precious to God. And wisdom lovingly appeals to every man, woman, and child to go its way. But if we refuse to go its way, sadly, the consequences are devastating. Verse 22, how long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? For scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. Turn at my rebuke. Surely I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. Because I have called and you refused. I have stretched out my hand and no one regarded. Because you disdained all of my counsel and would have none of my rebuke, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your terror comes, when your terror comes like a storm and your destruction comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then, then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but I will not, but, but they will not find me because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is a choice of life, a pursuit of life that you and I take, that we have all taken as believers in Christ Jesus. They would have none of my counsel and despised my rebuke. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their own way and be filled to the full with their own fancies. For the turning away of the simple will slay them. And the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will dwell safely and will be secure without fear of evil. Whoever, the condition is simple. You don't have to have great intelligence or come with a great education. You don't have to, you know, have all of the fineries of life. You don't have to be good looking or slender, or a perfect match. No, the condition is this, whoever will listen. And as a believer in Christ, you and I have listened. Thank God. I often say to Faye, my God, my life would have been absolute hell if Jesus hadn't invented it absolute hell, I would have destroyed myself and anybody else around me. There was nothing good about my life, nothing virtuous about my life until Jesus Christ took hold of me and saved me by His grace. This is a description here of David Edwards, right here. But the moment came at 15 years of age where I listened to wisdom's invitation and God's saving grace came into my life. This is a sad picture that's portrayed here in Proverbs chapter 1 of a person refusing wisdom's invitation, of a person refusing wisdom's rebuke, wisdom's direction, wisdom's, wisdom's 
leading. You say, well, that's Old Testament. That's Old Testament. That's not New Testament. Well, I'll tell you what is New Testament. All Scripture, new and old, all Scripture is inspired by God. It's breathed out by God, new or old, new or old. And it's profitable. You can turn to any passage in the Bible, it'll be profitable. There is no verse in the Bible that will be unprofitable for your life. Why? Because Paul tells us that in the New Testament. Every, every word in God's covenant is profitable, whether old or new. It's profitable for reproof, correction, encouragement. Oh, it's Old Testament. Old Testament, really. Come on a Monday night with us on the outreach team where we tell people about Jesus, where we implore them to receive Christ as their Savior. And the rebuttal and the remarks that you get just for telling people that Jesus loves them. Scorning the very love of God. Treading on the glorious sacrifice that Jesus has given for their lives with his blood. We see it so often. You know, I spoke, I, I said earlier, I spoke to a young, young lady recently. And um, she said to me, and it was, uh, it was regarding a moral issue in, in her life. She said, well, I am this blatantly, defiantly. I am, this is my moral standing in life. Does God accept me? I said, well, my love, I said, I'll tell you this. I said, God demonstrated his acceptance of you 2,000 years ago when he died on the cross and shed his blood for you and went to hell for you so that you could be saved. So the question is not whether God accepts you. The question is whether you accept God. I tell you. I tell you. It's the truth. It really is. Why? Because wisdom reaches. Wisdom tries to embrace even the most rebellious of people. He really does because he loves us. Now, finally, we're going to turn to Psalm 112. I'm going over a little bit this morning, but listen, I want you to be blessed as you, as you see this today. Psalm 112, we see a completely different picture. The picture of those who fear the Lord. You're going to read Psalm 112 when you go home. You're going to see a picture and a description of your life. Why? Because Not because you're perfect. Far from it. Not because you, you, you don't stumble and fall and sin in many ways. We do. Of course we do. But you are going to see a picture of your life in Psalm 112 simply because you have reverenced the Lord, you fear Him, and you've come under His counsel. Your life is not perfect, but you have surrendered it to Jesus Christ, and now by the work of His Spirit, He is perfecting in you His work and His life. It's the picture, Psalm 112 is the picture of a person who fears the Lord. And there's an immense list. I'm talking a loaded, immense, abundant list in this psalm regarding the life of those who fear the Lord. Psalm 112, David magnifies the blessing and the freedom that's in the fear of the Lord. Listen to verse, I'm just going to pick up three verses because of time. Listen to verse 1, then verse 7, then verse 8. But all of the other verses in between, read it when you go home and you'll, you'll see it. He says this, praise the Lord. Blessed, prosperous, favored in all things are those who fear the Lord, who find great delight in His commands. Verse 7, they will, no, they will have no fear of bad news. 
Their hearts are steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Their hearts are secure. They will have no fear. In the end, they will look in triumph on their foes. This psalm doesn't depict a life that's breaking down under fear. This psalm doesn't depict a life that's cowering back, hiding in a corner, and you know, afraid to speak. No, he opens the psalm, praise the Lord. He's not afraid of, of, of God refusing him entry or any kind of rebuttal from God. He knows that his life is under the favor of God because he reverently respects God in all he does, in all he says, and in every pursuit of his life. This fear... The fear of the Lord, as you will see as you read Psalm 112, cancels out every other fear. That's the amazing thing about it. It seems like a contradiction, but the fear of the Lord, once it's in place in our lives, and as we start to grow in it, you will find that it just cancels out every single attack of fear in your life. David talks about not fearing for our families not fearing for the future. You'll have no fear regarding your children. You'll have no fear regarding your future, irrespective of the lies and the environment of wickedness that sometimes our children are in, in their school situations. Do not fear. Do not fear, child of God. You fear the Lord, and the, the angels of God are all around them, I tell you, protecting them. They will prosper. They will succeed. David talks about it in this psalm. The fear of the Lord cancels out the fear of poverty. You'll see it. Cancels out the fear of darkness, isolation, and even wrong decisions when we make them. And all other types of fear. The picture that's portrayed in Proverbs chapter 1, as opposed to Proverbs, uh, as opposed to Psalm 112, a stark. One is a picture that's full of failure, sadness, and destruction. The other is a picture that's full of blessing, fulfillment, happiness, and great success. The one refuses the embrace of wisdom to lead it, the, the loving invitation to help correct and rebuke life as it unfolds. The second lives in reverential respect, delighting to do God's commands. The secret to living in the fear of the Lord. The secret, the secret to living successfully is to Walk in relationship, right relationship with him, and listen and obey his every word. I'm going to ask the musicians to come. We're going to close right now. Just recently, as we close, I read a story about Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a great pastor, a great minister, an incredible expositor of God's Word in London. And he pastored Westminster Chapel during the war years. And on one occasion, amidst a service, he was closing the service and praying when suddenly a bomb dropped on a building across the street from Westminster Chapel and Explode, uh, exploded, wreaking havoc on everyone around it. When that bomb went off, the ceiling started to come down in Westminster Chapel. Lloyd George briefly paused in his prayer, looked up, and then bowed his head again and continued to pray. Unmoved by trouble unmoved by fear, unpanicked by this critical moment that had come where a decision needed to be made. He continued 
continued to rest in the fear of the Lord. Untroubled by bad news, triumphant over the enemy's attack, completely calm, at peace in the Lord that he knew was with him. These are the blessings. This is the portion that God has for you as we go forward in life, as we meet all of its varying circumstances, as we meet all of its changes. Fear not, fear not, for you fear the Lord, child of God. Amen. I'm going to pray and then we're going to continue to sing just before we go. Father, I thank you for each and every one of your people. Oh, the love that you have for us. Oh, the blessings that you bestow on each and every one of us. Lord, I pray this morning. I pray for all of our young people, young people here, their life before them. Lord, I pray that you'd give them wisdom to fear you as they go through their lives. And in relation to their desires and aspirations, as they fear you, I thank you their lives are going to unfold with great fruitfulness, with great success. And you are going to be the, the driving life behind them that fulfills all of their dreams. Lord, I pray for us older people here today. Lord, as we walk in your fear, thank you that it frees us from every, every single fear. Lord, I pray that the eyes of our understanding would be opened, that we would have a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ Jesus, that, Lord, we would see that everything is under your feet. And because it's under your feet and we are in you and you are in us, everything's okay. It's all good. I pray for your peace upon your people in the wonderful, mighty name of Jesus for your glory. And all God's people said, amen. amen. So be it done unto you in Jesus' name.